Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience tonight. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Say it every night. I'm blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. Hope you recognize that you are as well. Hope this finds you and yours doing exceedingly well in your lives. My DM's always wide open at JMR Zone for faith-based conversations. Hope you'll reach out, if not to me, somebody that you trust. So this week, I don't know if you're up as early as I am this week, but I'm hosting Outkick to Coverage all week long in for Clay Travis. You hear the first hour of that program before the wake-up zone takes over at 6. It's me and Jeff Schwartz. And I let off today in much the same way I'm going to lead off right here, discussing greatness. And what we're sitting around getting to watch on a regular basis because of things like we saw yesterday at the All England Club, a four-hour, 57-minute classic, Novak Djokovic with a winning record over Roger Federer, largely considered Federer now the greatest of all time in men's tennis, greatest to ever pick up a racket. Djokovic got it done 13-12 in the final set. Roger Federer won six games in every set yesterday and lost. And so I'm sitting there thinking about the match. And I actually said on the Jason Martin Show on Fox Sports Radio yesterday morning that I thought if you could make it, you needed to be up for breakfast at Wimbledon. If you're a sports fan, you needed to watch this. Because I don't know how much longer we're going to be able to see this. And we are so very privileged and blessed as a sports-loving community, as enthusiasts of athletics, to have lived in the era in which we have. Now, we didn't get to see Babe Ruth. I never got to watch Mickey Mantle play. I didn't watch Lou Gehrig. I never got to watch Gail Sayers run the football, Gordie Howe. You know, there's a lot of things that I did not see, Jesse Owens. But with television, with the quality of the picture, with all of the advances in technology, and yes, even the good of social media, which is that we get to experience sporting events. We're never alone, per se, in that we have millions of people, experts, former players, journalists, friends, family members, that we can share all of these moments with, and we can put out our thoughts as they're happening. Yeah, there are trolls, and there's awful stuff about social media. You know how I feel about it. But one of the things that's great about it is when we can get together and watch something iconic happening in sports. And that's what we got yesterday. And it can be a positive or a negative. For example, the NFC Championship game 
Saints fans probably didn't love having to talk about what they had to talk about on Twitter, but it was relentlessly entertaining and fun to sit there and talk about with the Final Four or the Elite Eight or wherever you thought Virginia might have gotten some beneficial calls. There's always something. There's always something that you can pull out. And then you often learn something. Or you find someone else's perspective. And you can pay attention to that. So yesterday, Djokovic and Federer have this iconic match. And I'm thinking, man, I wonder if people can stop in a world that doesn't. Especially in a sports world where there's always going to be another game. The next day, there's still going to be a full slate of MLB games. There's 162 of them every year. There's 82 regular season NBA games every year. 82 hockey games. 16 NFL games. Depending on how good your football team is. Not quite 15, but almost 15 games there. And then, of course, you have your individual sports and competitions. And then you have your postseason tournament, which, which I did not just include. Four majors alone in tennis. Four in golf. One coming up Thursday. With the Open Championship, we continually have to move to the next thing. I'm behind a microphone. When I'm trying to put together what show I'm going to do, I sit here and I try to determine what the big storylines are of the day. Now, there are people in this business that sit around and they'll have a three or four hour show and they'll come up with something new every segment or two things new every segment. Just keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving. I don't think that's the case. I think that's why TV is inferior to radio. Because radio, I can talk to you as long as I want within the confines of my show. I can't talk for two hours tonight because I only have 60 minutes, and I'm blessed, incredibly blessed, and I don't take for granted any of those minutes. But if I want to sit here for 60 minutes and just monologue about one thing, I can do that. I'm not going to have a producer in my ear telling me I have to move to another topic or we've got to go to a vote site or here comes a lower third at the bottom and all this kind of stuff. None of that. There's much more intimacy to radio. So I can slow down, and I can deep dive into a story for three or four days if there's enough there. And so I talked about Kawhi Leonard an awful lot over the past couple of weeks and Kevin Durant and NBA free agency, and we're going to talk about Russell Westbrook coming up a little bit later on in this show. And I talked about him last week, but now there's more story there. But I don't need 90 seconds in an interaction, you know, scripted in iNews to tell me what to do. I can just kind of think it through. And so I wanted to stop yesterday. And I wanted to stop today and take inventory of the blessings we possess as a sports watching community, as an audience. And I've talked about this previously, months ago. This comes up from time to time because I really do at times just just try to slow down and exhale and say, man, we just watched something historically great. Think about, I'm 40 years old, so I'm only going to be able to do this from my own perspective. But in my lifetime, I've gotten to see some of not just the great performances of the century, but guys that are going to go down in the history books as the best to ever do it in their sport. Who's the best shooter of all time? It might be Stephen Curry. We're watching his entire career from Davidson all the way through the Golden State Warriors. I got to watch all of Michael Jordan's pro career. Best player ever. Second best player ever. Or the third would either be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or my answer is still going to be LeBron James. I got to watch everything LeBron's done as a pro. And even got to watch some of his high school games. I saw everything Kobe Bryant did in the NBA. 
I mean, the list goes on and on just in that sport. I watched Peyton Manning at Tennessee. I watched Peyton Manning with the Indianapolis Colts. I watched Peyton Manning with the Denver Broncos. I went to the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame inductions a couple of weeks ago, and I watched him, I watched him get an award there and make a speech there. Watched his entire career. Tom Brady might be the greatest of all time. Watched his entire pro career. Joe Montana was probably the number one guy on my list until Brady's come around. And Montana watched his entire pro career. John Elway, my favorite player ever, because I'm a Denver Broncos fan, watched his entire career. Why do you think I'm a Broncos fan? Because when I was a kid, I watched John Elway, and I wanted to be John Elway. And then individual sports. My answer to the question, the question that I asked this morning on the radio nationally, and amazing tweets coming back from people, and it depends on your background, how old you are, what is important to you, and yeah, there's fandom involved here too. But Tiger Woods is always going to be my answer. We've never seen anything like what we saw from Tiger Woods. And even now, it's appointment viewing every time he is on a golf course. But that run before he lost to Y.E. Yang, a couple of months before the incident on Thanksgiving in 2009, that stretch of golf, there was nothing more captivating than that. There was a very short list of individual athletes that were that compelling. Him, and then you can go with Mike Tyson, and then you can go with guys like Michael Phelps or Usain Bolt, and then you get to guys like we saw yesterday. Roger Federer, ladies and gentlemen, is the best men's tennis player Ever. Ever. Novak Djokovic may end up with more majors than Rafa, than Rafa and Roger. Roger's at 20. Rafa's at 18. Novak's at 16. Novak has a chance easily he's going to be favored to win the next three or four. Except the French, because Rafa owns the French. He owns that surface unlike anybody's ever owned another surface. So he's probably going to win a couple more French Opens. But Djokovic will be favored to win the Aussie Open. He'll be favored to win the U.S. Open. He beat Federer yesterday on Federer's best surface. And Federer may have won his last one. I mean, at, at his age, eventually it is going to get him. It's been a remarkable career. But we're watching this. We got to watch this entire thing. And the sadness of yesterday was because Americans men's tennis has fallen off the cliff that it has, many people within the sound of my voice have not gotten to see the vast majority of these three guys in particular, Roger, Rafa, Joker. You can put Andy Murray there, but it didn't quite hang on as long as you wanted it to. But the big three in particular, a lot of people just have missed most of this run. And it is a run that we may never see again. There is no one under the age of 30 that has won a Grand Slam that is currently playing tennis. Because those three guys have been that dominant. Only one set has someone under the age of 31 in a Grand Slam final. And that was this year, one set against Rafa at the French Open. Just one. I mean, the level of dominance that I'm describing to you is unfathomable. So I want you to stop and think tonight. And you can tweet me at jmartzone with some of your responses. We are so privileged to have gotten to see what we've gotten to see in sports. We have seen unbelievable finishes. We've seen iconic coaches. 
we have we have seen it all. In any era, you're going to have this kind of discussion, or you can have it. But you've got guys that aren't just the best in their generation, but they are the best to ever do what it is that they're doing. Transcendent guys, guys that changed their sport. The list is so long. I didn't even talk about baseball. I didn't even talk about Gretzky or Mario Lemieux or even Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin. It's amazing. Serena Williams certainly deserves to be mentioned on that list. We are just so fortunate to get the opportunity to see the kind of thing that we saw yesterday at Wimbledon. And so I hope that when the U.S. Open does come around here in a few weeks, that you will actually stop and pay attention to the greatness that we're witnessing because we're not just seeing greatness, ladies and gentlemen. We're seeing greatness on top of greatness on top of greatness on top of greatness holding tennis rackets right now. But none of them are American. The reason that I still care, I don't care as much as I should, is because tennis was my sport. It's what I played in high school. It's what I played for my high school when I was in high school. It's what I lettered in. And Americans tennis was on fire at that point. Sampras, Agassi, Courier, Chang, Todd Martin, Malavia Washington. It was unbelievable. I remember Todd Martin came and did a clinic before a tournament in North Carolina where I lived. Hundreds of kids showed up. I was one of them. He showed us how to volley. We used a wall. It was amazing. Men's tennis was the thing. Everybody I knew was getting rackets strung every weekend long. And since that point, it's dropped off. And it hasn't just dropped off because Americans aren't good. It's because the guys that we're seeing from overseas are just uncommonly great. And yesterday we saw an example. We saw Goliath versus Goliath. And Djokovic got the job done 13-12 in the fifth set. You don't get better than what we got yesterday. Again, here's that stat before we get a break. Roger Federer won six games in every set yesterday and lost. How good must you be to beat the best of all time with that stat line not just being mentionable, but should be at the first sentence or two of every article that's been written about that classic that we saw yesterday. So stop every once in a while. Don't just fast forward to the next game or the next day. Stop and just take a minute to marvel at what surrounds you in sports as someone that likes to watch this, or in my case, someone that gets to talk about this for a living. We'll be right back. This is The Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So. Welcome back here on a Monday in Music City. We're going to get some rain over the next couple days, and hopefully it's going to back off. This is the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone, host of the Jason Martin Show on Fox Sports Radio. You hear that Sunday mornings here on The Zone, also Squared Circle Radio. You hear that Sunday mornings here on 104.5 The Zone. We're brought to you today and every day by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate. Renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse is the rent estate company. Russell Westbrook is now a Houston Rocket. I was off the last two days of last week, so I wasn't able to comment on this on Friday. But I wanted to talk about it a little bit in the context of what I told you before Kawhi Leonard made his decision. 
which was we have a chance at this duo NBA where you have pairs of all-star level, superstar level players on like eight to ten teams in the NBA. And as a result, you have a lot of teams with a chance and a legitimate claim to say we're the best in the league and we can win a championship. And so the regular season becomes important because what you hear year after year is, oh, boy, offseason the NBA is unbelievable. But then eh, the basketball, until you get to the playoffs, who really cares? And then when you do get to the playoffs, it's usually pretty predictable unless there's injuries like we just saw. Well, the first part of that is right. Free agency was nuts. $3.175 billion in the first 12 hours. Kawhi Leonard making his decision, taking Paul George with him to Clipperland. And then, as a result of that, that left the Thunder with a lot of assets in terms of draft picks for the future. But a present that was very uncertain. And I told you last week, if I was Sam Presti, I would try to trade Russell Westbrook because you're not going to win a title with him. You have had the experiment, and you, were not in, you weren't able to close that deal. I did not think it was going to be Houston, but I was not surprised when it happened because Chris Paul went the opposite direction. Now, I don't know that Chris Paul actually suits up and plays a game for the Oklahoma City Thunder. His contract was so toxic and such a bad decision by GM Daryl Morey that Morey had to give up four other assets in addition to Chris Paul to get Russell Westbrook, who's three and a half years younger, faster and more athletic. And somebody that holds that triple-double record and won the NBA MVP a couple of years ago. Now, I think Paul is a better player for what Houston wants to do. But Paul and James Harden hated each other. State Farm ad or no State Farm ad, Those stories were not just smoke. There was billowing flames behind that. So, Russell Westbrook goes to Houston. What does that mean? Well, my buddy Brandon Hagany, my co-host on Square Circle Radio, my, my really, really good friend, tweeted out something that was incredibly astute late last week. And that was, now, back up before I actually tell you what that was. There are guys that age and their game ages with them because they're fundamentally sound. Or when you think about Kevin Durant, for example, it's not that he's getting that old. He's on the wrong side of 30, but it's what he's coming back from. Oh, what's he going to be when he comes back? Well, he's an elite shooter, folks. I mean, he's a great jump shooter. Now, he also is a great just stand there and shoot. He's got a good three-pointer. He's good from the free throw line. He's good from mid-range. What he's not going to be able to do is get to the rim the way that he has. So it's going to take something away from him, but he's still going to be a good jump shooter. If, though, you are someone who wholly relies on your uncanny, ridiculous athleticism, agility, speed, power, if that is your game, and that is all of your game, then your game is not going to age gracefully. And that is what Hag said. And he's right. Russell Westbrook is not a good shooter. He's a streaky shooter. Here's a comparison that I would make. It's not perfect, but usually comparisons are not perfect. Russell Westbrook, to me, is very similar to Bryce Harper in that there are some incredibly impressive peaks to what he is able to do when he is on. And then there are some valleys, and they're not just short ones before you get to another crag. They are a valley where you are walking for a while until you get to the next place where you can climb. Bryce Harper goes through slumps. Russell Westbrook couldn't make a shot to save his life in the postseason last year. 
he will go on tears, and then he will go for 10 games where you don't want him to take a shot. But he's going to take a shot because he's a high-usage point guard who needs the ball in his hands at all times. James Harden needs the basketball in his hands at all times. That's why Chris Paul didn't like him. That's why Chris Paul and him did not coexist because Chris Paul needs the ball in his hands to do what it is that he does. Mike D'Antoni changed his entire coaching philosophy, everything that he did everywhere else. His offense was predicated on shooting the ball before half of the shot clock was done. If he could do it in the first 10 seconds, that was the goal. Move it around a couple of times, find a shooter, get it going, and keep moving. James Harden wants to go one on five. He wants to go hero ball. He wants to hold it for as long as he needs to to create the space for that step back. And if he has to, he'll kick his leg out and try to draw a foul in the process. So they had to change everything for Harden. And then Chris Paul came in. And Chris Paul, who already has kind of an ornery reputation, who's known just as much for hitting guys below the belt as he is anything else he's ever done in basketball, but a no-doubt like Hall of Fame-level player. I mean, no question about that. This was not a mix that was meant to work. And they never made an NBA Finals together. And Chris Paul is perennially hurt. I'm still surprised he was able to get through last postseason and last season without anything too significant going on. He's three and a half years older than Russell Westbrook, and his contract was bad. It's one of those contracts that other teams don't want any part of. So the Thunder basically said, okay, we'll take this, but you're also going to give us other draft picks. I can't even tell you how many draft picks they have over the next eight years, and they're a good drafting team. When we come back off this break, I am, however, going to rip them for a couple of things that they've gotten wrong. When you consider the level of talent that the Oklahoma City Thunder have had and what they have managed to do with that talent, I am not sure there has been a more underachieving franchise in terms of championships or on the cusp of championships with the amount, just the sheer level of talent that they have had through those doors this decade. But we will hit that in the next segment. But what does this mean in Houston? Well, if Westbrook's game starts to betray him, because what's he going to be if he loses half a step? If he's not quite as fast anymore and guys can stay in front of him, because now you can't stay in front of him. When he's got a full head of steam, he's going to go up and hit you with that one-handed dunk, which is always exquisite to watch. He's as thunderous, no pun intended, as you can see, especially at that height. But, When he does not have all of that athleticism anymore and when that speed is no longer an asset for him the way that it used to be, what exactly do you have except a guy who needs the ball in his hands but is probably going to clang it off the rim when he gets the opportunity? This could go very, very poorly. It could also go very well because there's a pro and con to everything, most things at least. Westbrook last year, if you want an example of someone who started to figure it out a little bit, Westbrook stepped into the background more often than not last season and let Paul George be the offensive stalwart and the dominant force on that team. And the result of that was Paul George was a top three MVP candidate basically all year. Paul George got the shots. Westbrook backed off in the postseason when he couldn't shoot. Westbrook did not continue to shoot. This was not a Kyrie Irving. Oh, I'm one of the greatest shooters of all time. I should have taken 30 shots. That's not what Westbrook was saying. They still lost. They didn't have enough talent. Westbrook is not the guy you win a title with building around him. 
And that's why if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder, you had to make this move. Because right now, he's still worth something. But how long was that actually going to be true? And if his skills erode, and I think they're going to erode quickly. It's not like gradually he's going to lose this athleticism. There's that adage that one day you wake up in your 40s and you realize, oh, I need bifocals. Like that day, you can't see anymore. Or that day you have contacts, but you find out you need reading glasses because you can't even read the magazine or you can't read the computer screen or the newspaper in front of you. Well, one day, Russell Westbrook's going to walk onto an NBA floor and he's going to be normal as an athlete. As an athlete, But once guys stay in front of him, he's going to have to rely on the jump shot. The problem is he doesn't have a jump shot to rely on. And so Hagany's point couldn't be more right. Not only is his, his game going to age gracefully because of his attitude, because of what a killer he wants to be. And at times, I think he plays with too much of an edge. How does somebody like that react to eroding skills when they are finally told, hey, bro, you don't have it anymore? Do you think that's going to go well? Because I'm not so sure. I understand why the Rockets felt the need to do this. They weren't going to win with Chris Paul and James Harden. James Harden was unhappy, couldn't stand Chris Paul, and you're going to back James Harden over anybody else in that franchise because he's the golden goose for you. He's the one that sells the most tickets for you. He's the one that everyone wants to see. He's going to go down as one of the three to five best offensive players in the history of the NBA. That first segment I was talking about greatness, Harden's on that list. Charles Barkley said he is the single most unguardable, dominant offensive player in the history of the league, including Lou Alcindor, including Michael Jordan, including LeBron James, including George Gervin, including Kevin Durant, whoever you want to put in that list. James Harden's the one that you have to back. But the Oklahoma City Thunder have so many first-round draft picks. They almost have too many. They got all of those picks for the Kawhi Leonard deal where they were able to basically say, yeah, we're trading Kawhi and Paul George because you don't get one without the other. Even though Kawhi doesn't play for us, if you want Paul George, you're going to pay a king's ransom to get him. And so they did. And then they were able to get Jeremy Grant out of there and get another pick. They were getting stuff from everywhere. And then they get another foursome of picks, including two that are very lightly protected. And a lot of these are unprotected picks that they're going to be able to do things with. We don't know what they're going to become, but I know what Sam Presti's done in the draft before. I know how this organization drafts. So I feel pretty good about this as a Thunder fan. And if I was a Thunder fan, anybody out there that might join me in being one, it's going to be fun to watch what they're going to do. But I don't know what this means for Houston. I know they're now the fourth best favorites, odds-wise, betonline.ag and otherwise, Caesars. And now there's eight teams in the NBA with at least 20 to 1 or better odds. That's what I want, man. Elite level parity. We've discussed it before. The NBA Jam League, as Peter Burns said it. I wish I could take credit for it because it's absolutely right. Somebody made that game today. I don't know who has the rights to NBA Jam these days, Midway or Acclaim or whatever it is. Somebody needs to make that game because you've got duos right now. I mean, I could just name them off, but I've done it before on this show. You know this already. Westbrook and, and Chris, Westbrook and Harden is just another in a litany of examples. There are many decades where that would be the best pairing you could find. That's not probably even the fourth best pairing at this point. When we come back, the most underachieving team of the decade 
and maybe in the history of the National Basketball Association, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Why is that the truth? I'll tell you next. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So. Welcome back. Jason Martin here with you. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. A lot of you already do. Appreciate that. 615-737-1045 is always how you reach this program. 737-1045. I feel like talking a lot this week. Don't know how many phone calls we're going to get to, but maybe. We'll see. We'll see if the gatekeepers let you in. We'll see if Ryan lets you in tonight. So I talked about Westbrook in that last segment in the Thunder, but I want to talk about the Thunder largely right here. It is a bold statement to say that they're the most disappointing, underachieving franchise in the NBA, maybe ever. But let me put out the case as to why that could be true. Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka all played on the same team, made the finals, lost in five games. Harden disappeared. Ibaka disappeared. They drafted Victor Oladipo. was nothing. Or they had Victor Oladipo, I should say. Paul George they got. You could put Carmelo Anthony on that list if you would like to. Steven Adams is an underrated player, but I'm just naming sort of the all-star level talent that they have had through those doors. Reggie Jackson, also you can put him there. The sheer level of talent that they have had to have had one finals appearance and five games in that series when they lost to Miami is is unbelievable. They had Durant and Westbrook up on Golden State, three games to one, lost that series four games to three. We remember this, and that's what I think led to Durant leaving. We have Westbrook win the NBA MVP, set that triple-double record, and casually go out of the playoffs relatively quickly. I mean, they've had more talent maybe than just about any other franchise in the league this decade. One finals appearance in five games out. So, do you blame... Sam Presti for that. The answer is no, you do not. You can't because eventually you just have to go out on the floor and play. And at least in that series when they lost to Golden State, Westbrook and Durant picked a really bad time to have a horrible game. I think it was in six. And then in seven, Durant was bad. And five just kind of fell apart on him. But Sam Presti can't suit up for the Thunder to go out there and play himself. Neither can the ownership. Nobody can except the guys that they have on the floor. And they did bring in talent. And they grabbed free agents to try and surround them. Some of them worked out better than others, certainly. But here's where you can blame Sam Presti. How many mediocre coaches have, or average coaches even, have been responsible for NBA championships with superstars around them? I mean, I don't care how great the talent is. Yeah, you might hear your friend in the car say, I could win a championship coaching those guys. No, you could not. Because if you think about the coaches that have won NBA titles, by and large, they are on the list of the best you'll ever see. Phil Jackson, who did it with, of course, Jordan and Pippen and that crew, and then did it again with the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe and that crew. Doc Rivers, Popovich, maybe the top of that list as well. Rudy Tomjanovich had multiple stars on those teams, and he doesn't even get it done with those stars if Michael Jordan doesn't go and play baseball. I mean, you've had a lot of 
coaches with talent that haven't been able to win as well. But when you have a Lamborghini in your driveway, when you have bought a Lamborghini, then why would you not put the proper oil in it? Why would you put 87 octane in it instead of what it asks for? When you've got that level of luxury, then you have to keep its maintenance up. You've got to make sure it is performing at peak condition. You've got to put it in the most comfortable situation that it can be in for it to flourish in the way that it deserves because of the way it was built. Kevin Durant is one of the most incredible basketball players, especially at his size, that we will see ever, long after I'm gone, long after you're gone, long after our grandchildren are gone, Kevin Durant's still going to be marveled about. So you had not just one Lamborghini, I named you at least three that were on the same team at the same time. But what did Oklahoma City have? What were they putting in the engine? What were they putting in a gas tank? Well, they had Scott Brooks, who every time you see him, you're looking for Mark Paul Gossler because it's Franklin and Bash. And a lot of times the Thunder were on TNT anyway, and you thought you were about to be watching a TNT original. Hey, we got drama. But Scott Brooks was a, yeah, he's an all right coach. He's a pretty good coach. But he was not the kind of coach that was going to do what needed to be done to get them to a championship. And then what did they follow that up with? Well, they followed it up with a college coach that's a college coach that's about to go back to college where he should be, and he's going to be sought after by a lot of programs, as he should be, because he's a great college basketball coach, but not a great NBA coach, and that's Billy Donovan. And this past season in particular, that's where Sam Presti may have made his biggest mistake. He might have kept Scott Brooks one season too long. He definitely has kept Billy Donovan one season too long. It wasn't a great situation, but you could tell it was not a perfect fit for Billy Donovan. He is a college coach, and there are those guys. We see that in college football as well. Didn't necessarily work out that well for Spurrier or for Nick Saban or for any number of other guys that have tried to make that transition. Some it has, but a lot of them started in the NFL, went back to college, and then went back to the NFL. Saban had his time in the NFL before, but he's a college guy. So is Billy Donovan. If you have Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and James Harden and Paul George and Old Depot and all these guys that you've had at different times, why in the world did you never have an elite-level coach? It's a good situation. Why would you not pay whatever it took to get the best that you could get? You weren't going to get Pat Riley out of Miami because he had all of that ownership stake. Because he's in the front office. Maybe Phil Jackson had a little bit of stink on him from what happened in New York. But there are still a lot of dudes out there that you look at and you're like, that dude is a great coach. And then there are some really good coaches in the league that may never win titles, but you know that they're pretty good at their jobs. Guys like Mike Malone in Denver and Terry Stotts who just re-upped in Portland. There's those kind of guys. Nate McMillan who always seems to overachieve wherever it is that he is. But you never had the guy that could have taken these dudes to the next level and made them believe. Because I think that there are a lot of wounded, fragile egos in the NBA. It backs up Adam Silver's comments at the Sloan Analytics Conference about how unhappy everybody is, how they're searching for contentment. That was my argument last week and two weeks ago to explain why Kevin Durant did what he did going to Brooklyn. 
and what he's searching for and what he's ultimately not going to find, no matter where it is that he tries to look for it. But these fragile egos, they need someone to make them believe in themselves. And I don't think that Scott Brooks and Billy Donovan were the guys that could do that. And so you look at the Thunder and the talent they've had in that building and what they were able to do with that talent and how much of it now they've seen exit because this is officially the end of this phase of the Oklahoma City Thunder franchise. It is a full-on rebuild. It's going to be around Gilgis Alexander, who I think is going to be a really nice player in the league. But for the next two or three years, it's going to be really lean. And I don't know how they're going to bring in another top-tier free agent. Not because they're going to be told by the ones that were already there, hey, don't go there. It's a good place to go, but it's also the smallest market in the NBA. And what did we just see after all of that stuff about how DeMar DeRozan's going to stay in Toronto? And he's an example of you don't have to go to L.A. or New York or these big cities anymore because of social media and because of 24-7 television and because of cable. You can see everybody, so you can be a star anywhere. Well, what did we see during free agency? Nobody went to New York, but Durant, Kyrie Irving, and DeAndre Jordan all went to Brooklyn. That's pretty daggone close. We saw somebody go to Miami. We saw Russell Westbrook go to Houston. Houston's the fourth most populous city in the country. We saw Kawhi Leonard. Anthony Davis, Paul George, last year LeBron James, go to where? Los Angeles for two different franchises. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Kimball Walker left Charlotte. Where did he go? He went to Boston. They are still going to the big markets. They are still the attractive places for NBA superstars to live, despite the fact that you can play in Green Bay and build a house in Malibu. People don't want to do that. They want to live around these media hubs. And so Oklahoma City, what do they have to offer, especially now? I mean, this team, for all intents and purposes, currently, I mean, they're going to be the bottom of the barrel in the NBA. Maybe they're about to draft another Durant. Maybe out of these, all of these picks, you find another Russell Westbrook or somebody like that. But when you look at all of what they had, for them to have only pulled off what they did, one finals appearance through the entire run of all of this, and that was a five-game exit, there's your argument, could be the single most underachieving, disappointing failure of a team in the history of the NBA. We'll finish up Monday's show next here on the Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Yep. Final segment of the program here tonight on a Monday, Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Thanks for joining me. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. Reminder, I'm on Outkick to coverage all week this week. Also next Wednesday, and I believe next Thursday. You can hear the first hour of that show live here before the wake-up zone tomorrow. So let's talk a little bit of baseball on the way out. I want to talk about what happened Friday night in Anaheim. The Angels. And I tweeted this out. I said this might be one of the greatest pitching performances we have ever seen. And I've talked a lot about superlatives. I've used a lot of best-evers and things like that today. It's kind of been a common theme. But this one couldn't possibly be more true. On the night that they honor... Tyler Skaggs. Tyler Skaggs, who tragically passed away at age 29 and just you know, left this team heartbroken 
They all wear his jersey, and they go out there in this game. He died back on July the 1st. They invite his mother, Debbie, onto the field. She's going to throw out the first pitch. And then they go out there, and they throw a no-hitter. Taylor Cole, Felix Pena, they beat the Mariners 13 to nothing. They scored seven almost immediately. They had like one or two scares where there had to be some pretty beautiful, glovely work out in the field, but they got the job done. It's the 11th no-hitter in Angels history, the first since Jared Weaver did it, and that was back in 2012. There are more, you know, the no-hitter maybe doesn't mean as much as it once did, but this one sure did. They all then tribute him afterwards. They take the jerseys off. And they lay him on the mound. Mike Trout's crying. He's breaking up just trying to talk about it. He says, you can't make this stuff up. I'm speechless. This is the best way to honor him. From start to finish, the first pitch, the length of a Mike Trout home run, I believe, was 450 feet, 45 being Tyler Skaggs' number. We still don't know what happened to Tyler Skaggs. Suicide was ruled out. It was such a just... Horrible story, and it's been tough, obviously, on that organization. Here's what they say. Everybody who knows her knows how strong she is. If you know anything about her, you can understand why Tyler was how he was. Extremely self-confident, strong-willed, hardworking. She is definitely the epitome of that, and if anybody had any question about where Skaggs got his ability to throw off the mound, it was evident tonight. That was from Skaggs' closest friend on the team about his mom's first pitch. And then his mom got to sit there and watch the team that her son played for earlier this season, as a matter of fact. She got to watch them on Friday night throw a no-hitter. There are times where Hollywood can't duplicate what real life does. And in those moments, it's important to stop and recognize Another thing that I've talked about is stopping and taking inventory of life and the blessings around you. It is important to stop for just a second and think about who is in control and what a beautiful tapestry, what a beautiful masterpiece, what a beautiful work of art our lives are. As broken sometimes as they feel, as imperfect and very human as we all are. I'm sure today you've said something you wish you hadn't. You've certainly thought something that you wish you hadn't. You haven't worked as hard on this as maybe you wish you had. You didn't use your time as wise as maybe you wanted to. There's somebody in your family or some friend that you need to say something to that you have not. We are incredibly imperfect. But this moment right here on Friday night for the Angels throwing a no-hitter on the night that they're honoring Their fallen teammate who passed away earlier this month at age 29. Keep that in mind, how young he was, what a long life he had left, and people loved him on that team. For them to go out there and then throw a no-hitter, a combined no-hitter, and win that game 13 to nothing with the mother throwing out the first pitch that she threw out and being there for the moment. Folks, I don't know what to say except there are things that just don't feel like coincidences to me. And maybe it's because I've taken stock of the wonderful things that are happening in my own life and my family's life and those around me's life. And then there are some tough moments as well. 
And hopefully I'm there in the way that I need to be for those people as they are going through what they are going through. But I wanted to end with this story tonight because there is no better story than this one. Too often we think of every day as if we're going to bed and it doesn't have the ending that we want it to. Just a reminder, ultimately it's going to be a happy ending. And there are some nights, like Friday night in Anaheim, California, where the happy ending came right there in front of our eyes in a way where I feel like it was virtually impossible not to understand the gravity of what was going on. This was flawless. We'll see you tomorrow. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.